Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin. Welcome to Pirates Talk. It's a big week for the Seton Hall men's basketball team. The 23rd-ranked Pirates stand at 7-1 as they get ready to play number 7 Texas on Thursday at Prudential Center in the Big East Big 12 Challenge. Three days later, the Hall will take on Rutgers in what should be the usual emotional showdown in the Garden State Hardwood Classic. As Seton Hall prepares for Thursday's matchup, my guest this week is ESPN college basketball analyst Fran Fraschilla. Before embarking on a career in television nearly two decades ago, Fraschilla was a successful basketball coach at Manhattan, St. John's, and New Mexico. He led the Jaspers to postseason appearances in all four of his years at the helm, including two NCAA berths. After moving to St. John's, Fraschilla took the Johnnies to the NCAA tournament in 1998, their first bid in five years. Now ESPN's Big 12 analyst, he joins me this week from the Midwest on the morning of the Big East Big 12 Challenge game between Butler and Oklahoma to discuss the national scene, the Big East picture, his opinion on Seton Hall's matchup with Texas, and more. Fran Fraschilla, thank you so much for giving me some of your time on a busy day. It's game day. You're in Norman, Oklahoma. What's going on in the Midwest? Well, uh, the the Butler Bulldogs uh, out of the Big East, ironically enough, are here as part of the uh, Big East Big 12 Challenge. And uh, they'll see the Oklahoma Sooners tonight. We'll we'll carry the game on ESPN and uh, very familiar with this part of the country as I have covered the Big 12 for you know quite a few years now. But uh, whenever I see a Big East team, it warms my heart, uh, you know, given my, uh, you know, my background in, uh, in the New York area. Brooklyn born and raised, uh, Fran Fraschilla joining us. We get where the loyalties are, of course, in your time at Manhattan and then in the Big East with St. John's. So what, what, tell me the Oklahoma story. First year head coach, they've gotten out of the gate pretty well. Yeah, but Porter Moser's a tremendous coach. Obviously, we know his work from Loyola of Chicago, Final Fours, uh, last year knocking off a very good Illinois team in the NCAA tournament. And, uh, you know, the time was right for him to uh, uh, step up, I think, in, in terms of leaving Loyola, a good mid-major program. And he's here now at Oklahoma. It's, it's a busy week because uh, as important and as exciting as people are about Porter Moser, uh, you know, yesterday when I got to town, they they hired a new football coach, which you probably are not surprised to know, Matt, was covered on statewide television <laughs> here in Oklahoma. And so we'll probably see him at our game tonight at halftime, as is usually the custom. But but uh, Porter's an excellent coach. And uh, obviously people know his background as an assistant to Rick Majerus and played at Creighton uh, now in the Big East. So uh, I think he's going to do a fine job. And yes, they are off to a terrific start and uh expecting a good matchup today with a Butler team who has high hopes uh but has been racked by injuries um you know uh it, it, so that's going to be uh, that's the thing they're trying to overcome right now they have some good pieces but uh they're not whole yet and uh, we're we're anxious to see them uh get healthy Laval Jordan's club checking in at five and three. So, so far it's a two, two split in this big East, big 12 challenge. Is there any importance other than bragging rights to what happens on the court the rest of the way? No, I don't really think so. Actually. I mean, I think it's great that these, these conferences are playing and, and I think that these are really, uh, now needless to say they're, they're high, it's their high level non-conference games, which is, I think what the most, uh, you know, which I think is what the value of these games are, you know, for example, uh, with Texas going to Seton Hall this this you know uh, tomorrow as we speak as we tape, 
you know, a, gr- a great matchup of two teams that, uh, you know, I'm very optimistic that uh, are going to be NCAA tournament teams. They're built the same way uh, in terms of toughness and grit. Uh, Kevin Willard has done an, uh, just an unbelievable job at Seton Hall in his time. And, and then, uh, you know, this weekend we'll see a matchup of two teams that could get to the Final Four and Villanova and Baylor, two guys that know each other well, who are friendly. And uh, I probably did one of my most favorite games of my last five or ten years a couple of years ago when Baylor beat Villanova down at Myrtle Beach. It's one of those deals where it's one of the best games I've done. Both coaches still talk about that game. And because it was at Myrtle Beach, no disrespect to to the Myrtle Beach Invitational, but not not a lot of people remember that game. But it was it was pre-national championship and uh, for Baylor and uh, a game that was just an amazingly played game with a lot of shot making. So this is fun, I think, from that standpoint, that these teams get to go out of conference and, and maybe add something to an NCAA resume, Matt. Yeah, and that's, of course, uh, what's important about the success or failure of a, a given team in a situation like this. And, of course, I think it's great for college basketball fans, and maybe it's obvious, but you know, you yeah. get ready for the college conference season, and that's on the horizon. But, man, don't we all want to know who's best on best? Yeah, we definitely do. And I have to tell you, uh, you know, a little inside basketball stuff here. Last year, uh, or you know, when we were not sure uh, two summers ago whether we were going to have a college basketball season, a lot of the top coaches in the country, and, you know, I would include guys like Scott Drew and and, uh, Jay Wright and Tom Izzo and Mark Few, John Calipari, they were on the phone constantly that summer before what would it be uh, 2021 season, uh, just figuring out ways to play each other uh, as, as, as good of programs as the, these guys are, they were willing to like, you know, just try to create as many great games as they could because we just had so much in, uh, uncertainty about the, about college basketball last year. And uh, we saw it happen. We, we remember when Baylor and, Gonzaga were trying to schedule a non-conference game literally throughout the season. And then ironically, they meet in a national championship game. So, you know, kudos to these coaches for Jay Wright going to Waco, Texas. I don't know if Jay Wright's ever stepped foot in Waco, Texas. <laughs> my good buddy. So, uh, you know, uh, and, 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 and Chris Beard would not know a Forno's restaurant in, in downtown Newark. So uh, I think that a uh, great Spanish restaurant, by the way, it is. Um, but uh, yeah. And so I think it's, uh, I think it's really cool that, um, that these games are happening. It's great for the kids to be able to play against guys. They probably played with, with and against on the AAU circuit but not in conference play like in the Big East and Big 12. So I think this is really fun in November and December to do this. Yeah, and and I'm getting off topic a little bit here, but uh, staying with the guys wanting to play the best and get games in, maybe it's always been there, I just haven't paid attention, but it seems like this year there have been more exhibition matchups, like just scrimmages that have been set set up bigger teams against bigger teams, you know, behind closed doors, but just to see where, where some of these players are at. Again, maybe it's always been there. I just have noticed it more this year. No, it's, 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 it's been common probably the last decade. We, uh, you know, we call it the secret scrimmages, Villanova scrimmaged uh, Duke down at, uh, down in DC. You know, they, they each, they, they met halfway, you know, between the campuses and it was uh, at the, at the wizards practice facility. So it was a chance to, play a high level team uh, and find out what your, you know, what your weaknesses are, what your strengths are. But I have to tell you, I thought you were going in a different direction. I thought you were going to talk about how many high level matchups we've had 
between the teams already uh, in live play. You know, uh, the Gonzaga's, you know, if you look at what Gonzaga's done playing UCLA and Duke out in uh, in Vegas, Villanova going to UCLA already, which I think is another matchup that we all loved. Uh, uh, you know, Alabama going out to Gonzaga this past weekend and getting a great win. I, I do think because of those conversations held a year ago by many of the top coaches that they just decided that it's let's let's play let's play a lot of good teams early uh, you know let's find out who we really are early as opposed to a cupcake schedule so uh, the cupcakes are still on some of these schedules but I think we've seen more great matchups uh, early uh, among the elite teams you know Purdue and Villanova mm-hmm. recently up at Mohegan Sun so. Um, I think that's been great for college basketball that we've had these key matchups already that were not secret scrimmages that actually we got to see on TV. Yeah, which is certainly better. I I wonder why do you think maybe it's just because the games were canceled and there were no crowds and you were wondering about like how I can get games in as you as you discussed earlier. Yeah. Like why have some programs or more programs moved away from that cupcake schedule? Let me build that. 10 and one resume or 11 and 0 yeah. resume before I head into conference play. Why are these guys willing to play each other? Uh, probably long-term contracts, you know, <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and guys, and, and seriously guys that don't have any, uh, you know, I mean, Tom Izzo or Jay Wright or, you know, Matt Painter, or Scott Drew, those guys, Mark few, those guys are not getting fired anytime soon. And I, you know, I say that with all, all reverence to what they've accomplished. So, uh, yeah, I think it's great. I, I, I just think um, we've done it in the past, but I think I, I sense there's more of it this year in part because we wanted to give, I think these coaches and their athletic departments wanted to give fans a chance to get back in the stands and really enjoy good basketball. It may be a perception on my part, uh, but it just seems to me in talking to these guys that they're, you know, they're more willing to do this. And, and the perfect example of this is, is Jay Wright. Uh, you know, UCLA, Tennessee, Purdue, Syracuse uh, t- tonight, actually, and as we speak in the uh, in the Jimmy V, Baylor on Sunday, and they go right into conference play. So, uh, you know, of course, they have to play their big five schedule, which, you know, usually recently they're favored. But still, you know, when you play the rivalries, uh, you know, the LaSalle's and the St. Joe's and the Temples, that's always, uh, you know, can be a tricky proposition. So, uh, you know, kudos to these guys, but in part, it, they are the giants of the business and, you know, they're, they're not getting fired. No, they're not. Uh, their resume is long and loud, and that gives them the security of being able to play some of those teams. All right, so let's dive in a little bit to the Big East. Uh, what what have you seen so far in the early going? Conference play doesn't begin for a few more weeks, but what are some of your early thoughts and the teams as they get ready to square off against each other? Well, um, you know, I, just off the top of my head, a team I, I, a team I saw that, uh, injured in Brooklyn actually won won a game over Memphis with uh, I think it was Memphis. I'm trying to think who it was. Now I have to let me check real quick. Uh, Virginia Tech, excuse me, with four of their top seven scores out. If you can imagine that, um, and now they're getting whole, they're getting healthy. Zach Fremantle, uh, obviously a terrific young player from Northern New Jersey is back. He has missed a lot of action this year. I, I think Xavier, uh, before I talk about Villanova and UConn, I think Xavier is a, is a dark horse, uh, sweet 16 elite eight type of team. Uh, I think we're going to see vintage Xavier out of them this year. So keep your eye on them. We know what Villanova is about with, with Jermaine Samuels and Gillespie back and Justin Moore and 
Um, there's no question that, uh, you know, they're a team that can go to a national championship game again. Uh, I love what Danny Hurley's doing at UConn. Uh, I think it was a, just a great move for the Big East to, uh, you know, bring UConn back into the fold. And then, of course, I think one of the surprise teams, uh, you know, it's hard to say they're a surprise because of their consistency recently, but I love what Kevin Willard's doing at uh, Seton Hall. We thought well, there might be a drop-off this year. You know, you know, losing guys like uh, Mambo Kelishvili, uh, for sure. You know, Reynolds transferred, but uh, you know, Jared Roden has become one of the best players, uh, not if not only in the Big East, but you know, around the country, one of the best shooting guards. Uh, Bryce Aiken looks uh, like he's rounding back into form. Who, uh, you know, had had a great career at Harvard before injuries saddled him with uh, you know having to sit. Miles Kale's getting healthy. I mean, I can go down the list, but I just love what Kevin's doing. So. Uh, but I think the top of the league with uh, Providence off to an 8-1 start, uh, St. John's with some feistiness, um, you know, even DePaul's out of the gate quickly. So I, I think it's going to be a better league than last year. But certainly there's four teams at the top of the league when I think of Villanova, UConn, Xavier, and Seton Hall that all look like NCAA teams right now. Why do you think it's better this year, the league? Uh, cyclical cyclical Matt I mean this happens in college basketball I think uh you know when you lose a Sandro Mamukelishvili you would expect to take a, a step back a little bit but uh I, and I also think transfers quite frankly and super seniors you know when you look at the Big East uh, Villanova's gotten a chance to play two 50-year guys uh you know uh, Jared Roden is doing the same uh Paul Scruggs at Xavier doing the same um, and I think I might have been the guy five, six, seven years ago who helped coin the phrase get old and stay old. <laughs> I may have stolen that from Mike Bray, because when you're in the ACC or the or the SEC competing against Duke and Kentucky, and at that time, they're great one and done guys like Anthony Davis and more recently Zion Williamson. The only way to compete with those guys is to get old. And the Big East is a good, solid old league this year with Xavier, Seton Hall, Villanova. Nate Watson at Providence, uh, you know, back for a fifth year. Butler's got, you know, Aaron Thompson, some other guys that have played five years. So uh, one thing that's good about college basketball that, you know, resonates in the Big East this year is uh, the transfer portal and the super seniors. I think are helping the game, and it's it certainly helped help some of those teams I just mentioned. For sure. Long term, do you think the transfer portal is a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, I, I like freedom for players. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. now you have, you bring a player in and you've recruited a kid, but he's not seen as much because he's younger and not developed. And you got this veteran guy coming in and just wondering what headaches coaches are going to have to start dealing with. Well, it's going to be, uh, as I said, when it happened, uh, the law of unintended consequences, both good and bad. Uh, we've seen that teams can rebuild quickly through the portal. Uh, kids can obviously go up a level if they're doing well at the low major level or mid-major level or down a level if they want to, you know, take on more of a role. That That's good. The player freedom is good. Um, I think if there's a downside, it's seeing some kids uh, hit adversity early in their careers and think that, uh, well, I have to I have to transfer. Mm -hmm. Um you know, that's that's unfortunate when I think of a kid named uh, like Brandon, uh, Brandon Slater at Villanova, who played 54 minutes as a freshman. And, uh, you know, I asked one of the members of their staff down there back back 
then, hey, is this kid going to transfer? They said, nope, this kid's in it for the long haul. And now he's averaging 15 a game. He's on NBA radars. Uh, same thing with Jermaine Samuels, who played very little on the national championship team in, in 18. Um, and, you know, and you have kids like that that will buy into the development phase. The, the, the Purdue's got a bunch of those guys, the number one team in the country. So there's some un- unintended consequences that I think are good and bad. And running away from adversity, I think, is one thing because of the transfer portal. That's probably going to end up being a negative. You know, it's you, you want to be you want to develop into a player with a coach. that's going to push you over, you know, two, three, four years. And some some kids who don't have that kind of mental toughness or maturity at 18 or 19 understand that. And so they're the first guy out the door when they're when they only play 11 minutes against, uh, you know, FDU. Well, using Villanova as the example, I would think that Jay Wright recruits those kind of guys who will want to get better and understand that they can get better. It's not just the grass is always greener on the other side. So coaches have probably worked that into their recruiting side of things. Well, they do, except there are very few. Co- absolutely right, Matt. The, the problem is there are only so many Tom Izzo's, Matt Painters, <laughs> Mark Fuse, and, and Jay Wright's out there. True. Who, who, who could basically say to a kid, uh, and Javon Quinterly from Northern Jersey is a perfect example, uh, who went to Villanova and now is having a great career at Alabama. And the simple fact was, you know, Javon, who I know played at you know Hudson Catholic, was not willing to be patient enough to wait to develop into the next Jalen Brunson or Colin Gillespie. And so um, you have to find the right guys who are going to buy into development and not want the instant gratification that so many guys want. And very few coaches have the gravitas uh, to be able to explain that to a kid, um, you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, it's not going working well for me right now in my freshman or sophomore year. So I'm out of here. Yeah, that that obviously is is true in terms of uh, those elite programs and those coaches who have done so. It's funny, it's a theme, right? (laughs) The coaches who develop and who have been there a long time, they're the ones who have the confidence to play the big fellas outside their conference. And, you know, those are those are the gems. Those are the shining lights in this sport without question. And on the other hand, as I said, I do believe that players should have some freedom for too often. It's been a a one-way street. And and now I think that sometimes it just doesn't work out. Maybe because you were a kid, you don't have the maturity to understand you can get better there if you work through the adversity. At the same time, your eyes were bright, uh, wide open because you went, wow, I'm being recruited by coach whomever, or I'm going to this school. It's a big conference and it's just not a fit. And why should you be locked in? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think what it does is it makes the coaches be more conscious of fit. Uh, I know, for example, that, uh, you know, and that's how Villanova recruits. Look, here's how we do it. We're going to develop you over the course of time. If you want to be a one and done guy, this is probably not the place for you. And by the way, the way we do it is we love your parents, but your parents are going to have no say in your development. (laughs) And if you don't trust us to do that, um, you know, this is probably not the best place for you. And Quite frankly, you know, some guys, it's not, it's not for them. It's not, to, it's not for them to be, try to be a one and done guy at Kentucky or Duke, you know, uh, where if you're not a one and done guy and you're a point guard, you can imagine that next year at Kentucky, there's going to be another guy coming in that's going to try to take your spot. So uh, everybody does it differently. There's a lot of ways to have success at college, at the, at the college basketball level. And, uh, you know, in, in the big East anyway, as I look down the team. So one thing I see a recurring theme theme of is grit and toughness. Uh, you know, Villanova, Connecticut, Xavier, Seton Hall, Providence, St. John's, 
you know, right off the bat, I think of tough, hard-nosed coaches who are willing to push a kid uh, to get better and also explain the process to them. And, you know, hopefully they do understand it and, and uh, you know, roll with it. I was laughing when you said, uh, you know, your parents are not going to be involved. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I, I You would know better than me. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you've got your finger on the pulse. You're intimately yeah. involved in the college basketball scene. <laughs> yeah, that probably happens a lot more often than people think. It does. It really does. And the AAU guy and the handler and the potential agent uh, to go along with the parents, it's uh, it's a navigate. It's navigating waters that I was not necessarily accustomed to back when I was coaching. But, uh, you know, because I do have a a close relationship with so many coaches, like I do hear stories and I go, oh, my goodness. I'm just so glad I'm sitting over there courtside and just (laughs) calling the game. You know, I'm going to be undefeated after this game tonight. And and honestly, I got to tell you, when I was at Manhattan College, I'll never forget driving back home to Westchester up to Henry Hudson on a, on a night that we won by 25. And I was thinking about my 10th man and saying, damn, I could have got him a few more minutes tonight. I wasn't so happy about winning big. I was like, ah, you know, so-and-so is going to be unhappy, you know, because I only played him eight minutes in a blowout. So, you know, and, and you can only imagine that it's magnified when there are kids and parents and handlers who think their kid's an NBA player. Yeah. And uh, oh, by the way, there aren't many of them actually who are NBA players. Actually, <laughs> it takes yeah, a long right. time sometimes for that lesson to be learned. Hey, a couple of more questions about Seton Hall, then we'll let you go again. I appreciate yeah. it. And then I want one one question at the end. I'm going to ask you about game day preparation as, as you prepare yeah. for tonight's game uh, between Butler and Oklahoma. So what what will Seton Hall need to do better as you've seen them a little bit watching them? Uh, and and yeah. what what are their strengths as you see it? Well, it's interesting. You know, what I like about Seton Hall this year is that they're not they're not an elite offensive team. They're not an elite defensive team, but they're pretty good on both sides. Like they um, they they don't turn the ball over, which I love. You know, they're a reasonably tough team defensively, which I love. They uh, they don't give up a lot of uh, second shots, which I like. They're just a grinded out team. And uh, honestly, this is not going to be a tricky matchup. Uh, I, I talked to. Uh, the coaching staff at Texas early in the week, uh, talked to both coaching staffs, actually, uh, they, 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 they both have called me for insight on the other, you know, cause I'm <laughs> in the big 12. Uh, and not that I give away anything, but I, I told both coaching staffs, assistant coaches from both staffs, uh, this is going to be a street fight. Uh, it really is. I mean, I, 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 there's no secret formula here. Like, you know, Hey, obviously if, if Marcus Carr or Jared Roden goes off for 25, it makes your team's job easier. But, uh, both of these teams are kind of built very, very similarly this year. They're both reasonably good, above average on both sides. They both play with great toughness and grit. Um, they make they both make it hard for you to score on them. And, uh, you know, for Texas, they've had a reasonably soft schedule so far. Other than going to Gonzaga early, they pretty much, uh, you know, beat a bunch of cupcakes at home. So this is a really good uh, test for them uh, to go on the road in what is uh, in December uh, a Big 12 level game. And, uh, you know, uh, Seton Hall's already gone on the road to Michigan, come away with a great win, lost a heartbreaker, you know, at, uh, to Ohio State in a game that they could have easily won. And, uh, you know, uh, it's going to be fun. I, this is one of those where my expertise as far as a secret X and O formula is not in the cards, Matt. It's going to be a uh, 
great matchup and a good test for both teams. Yeah, Seton Hall 23rd and Texas 7th in the most recent Associated Press poll. Yeah, sit back and enjoy it, right? That's that's what it's all yeah. about, you know? Absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this game, actually. And I'll be... I'll actually be calling a game, uh, Iowa, Iowa State on Thursday, but I will definitely have my eyes on this game while it's going on. How many Marriott points and frequent flyer miles do you have? <laughs> uh, my wife says they don't pay me to work. They pay me to travel. <laughs> and uh, you know, I've, I've, I calculated that I've spent four and a half years of my life in a Marriott. And that's not including the other hotels, by the way. Uh, but uh, it's just the way that, you know, both coaching and now broadcasting, as you know, well, uh, the nature of my, our business. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. I got a chance, uh, midway through my career in coaching to go to broadcasting. I had two little boys and never thought I would leave coaching so quickly at 43, but I found something that I not only enjoyed, but it gave me a great family life. And ironically enough, I've got two sons that are now coaching one in college and one in the NBA. So uh, we made it a family business. Yeah. And, and a successful family business at that, you know, I was laughing with my wife over the weekend, uh, the New Jersey devils happened to have a weekend off. And so yeah. we went into the city and we checked out the tree and all that sort of stuff. And then as we were walking back, I, I started to chuckle. I said, you know, we're coming up on an anniversary and I yeah. said, you know, but about five and a half of those years, if you total up <laughs> the, the times away from me doing what I do yeah. and did. Uh, so we're really only celebrating like coming up on our 30th as opposed to our 34th, actually. It's, well, uh, I, I, ironically enough, I'm going on th 34 next August and I tell everybody I've been happily married 25 years. <laughs> and they go, well, what, what do you mean? I go, well, you know, the other seven, you know, <laughs> and, and she elbows me. And someone will say, well, is it like, which seven years? I go, no, it's two or three days at a time. It just yeah. adds up. You know? <laughs> but uh, in, in truth, my wife, Meg, uh, you know, she is bought into the coaching basketball life. She's a great sports fan. And, you know, now we've got it. We have a son, actually, uh, full disclosure, you know, my son, my younger son, Matt, played with Bryce Aiken at Harvard. And now is the video guy at Villanova for Jay Wright. And uh, which is why I know so much about the league. And, uh and and James, my older guy, who played at Oklahoma, ironically enough, I'm here in Norman today. Uh, he's with the Orlando Magic as they uh, as they rebuild with the youngest NBA roster starting five in NBA history. So, uh, you know, it's been a it's been a good run so far, and I and I love what I do. And uh, you know, I, I'm blessed. I really am to sit courtside. And my biggest decision is, man, I is it going to after the game? Is it Applebee's or Outback? You know, that's the uh, that's the tricky decision. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I wish it could be Forno, but uh, you know, it's usually uh, in in an outpost in the Big Twelve, and we don't have a Forno or a famous steakhouse in, uh, in some of these places. But. No, but I'm sure you find your way uh, to those places <laughs> when you get back home for sure. So, yeah. uh, Seton Hall, can they tighten up defensively? Do they have to? As you mentioned, they're neither. Real strong defensively, nor real strong offensively, but the blend is good. But defense has been Kevin's hallmark to a large extent. So do they have to tighten up? Can they tighten up? Oh, yeah, they can, for sure. You know, one of the things I love about this team is they have, uh, you know, especially in lately, the the best teams he's had, they've had, uh, you know, shot blocking. And, and they have it again this year, you know, with uh, uh, Obiago, for sure, as a kid who can uh, – uh, challenge shots, no question about it. He's one of the best shot blockers percentage wise in, in college basketball. So, uh, yeah, they, you know, I, I think, I think Matt, honestly, they certainly can get better. I mean, when you have the amount of transfers that they have, as does Texas, I might add, mm -hmm. it's, it's one thing to be old, but neither one of these teams has been old together. 
you know, certainly Roden has, and, you know, more recently with Tyree Samuel being a junior now and Miles Kale getting healthy. Sure, there's guys that have played together, but when you look at Seton Hall and Texas in a matchup like this, both of these teams are still finding who they are in December before they get into conference play for real. And so um, obviously Seton Hall can continue to get better, uh, shoot it better from the three comes to mind. But um, again, they are who they are. They can, their chemistry can grow throughout the month of December. And then I think they go into conference play, you know, certainly as one of the top three teams in, or, you know, three or four anyway, at the top of, uh, you know, what is going to be a good league. Hopefully it continues that way and, and a terrific year for Seton Hall. Final question, and it's for those who are listening who don't really know much about the business. They just see someone like yourself on those yeah. Big 12 games or uh, doing studio work or whatever you're assigned to on a given day. What is a game day like for you? Well, you know, for me, uh, people ask me how I prepare. And quite honestly, I have the perfect job, even better than coaching, because I've been a lifelong basketball junkie. And so my preparation literally is 365 days a year. And I, I don't say that smugly. Uh, I just uh, even even in the summertime, I'm at my computer for an hour looking at articles, looking at things that might pop up that I might print out and throw into my files for the season. Um, or I, I watch a lot of video. I do a lot of coaching clinics. Uh, for young coaches. I mentor young coaches. Uh, So, you know, my preparation on game day is pretty much what it is the rest of the year. It's just, I love to be immersed in basketball, you know, here at the hotel, uh, you know, yesterday I was over at OU at Oklahoma and I spent an hour with coach Moser just talking ball. And then he had me speak to the team. Then I watched practice in their film session. And when I got back to the hotel here in Norman last night, the, the Butler team was arriving uh, Coach Jordan is a good friend and another guy that I love talking to, mentoring a little bit as a young coach. And I spent an hour with him and his coaching staff and their radio crew uh, in the lobby of the hotel just talking about Butler. So by the time the game starts, I'm ready to just throw it up. And, and you know, Rich Hollenberg and I are ready to take off because um, my preparation is, is pretty much by osmosis, if you, want, if, you, if, you, if you know what I mean. It's just I inhale every possible thing I can about two teams, try to know everything, know the stories, know the backgrounds, tell new stories. When we've done it, when I've done Kansas six times, is there another story about Ochai Abaji I can tell? So, you know, I, I learned this business. Uh, I've learned that as much as I know about basketball, it's still an entertainment deal when you're talking about the devils or a college team or a college game. And um, I try to take, I keep that in mind and make the game interesting for the, for the viewer. And you've done that uh, for now, what, 20 years, I guess. And 19. Yeah, it's 19. It's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It, it, uh, full-time at ESPN, 19. This is my 19th year. Amazing. Amazing. And it's been a, a terrific run. Fran, thanks very much for your time. Happy holidays uh, to you and the family and continued success with what you do. And hopefully uh, I'll run across your path or our paths will cross and we can say hello face-to-face. Thank you, Matt. Enjoyed the, um, enjoyed the conversation. And that will wrap things up for this edition of Pirates Talk. Thanks to Fran Frischilla for sharing his time. As he said, he is a college hoops junkie and helps to mentor young coaches. You can follow some of his teaching points and get his opinions on college basketball and more on Twitter at at Fran Frischilla. Pirates Talk is available wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I invite you to rate the show, leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks as always to Pat Christensen, the sound engineer of the program and the writer and performer of the Pirates Talk theme. And thanks to you for your company. It's very much appreciated. 
I'm Matt Lachlan. Until next time, be safe, be well, and let's go Pirates! <laughs>